Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and joining us this week all the way from the land down under is the one and only Dan Savage, who is going to talk to us about Beasts of Nurgle and other chaosy things. He's got a really fun list that we're going to go through. Um, for those of you new to the podcast, this is episode one where we talk about the strategy of a list, which is, you can think about it as a macro discussion, what's in the list and why. And uh, what are the things you considered for the list, and what is the overall strategy? Joining us, as always, is Nick Nanavati, who doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway because I love fluffing this guy's ego. He's one of the best players in the history of 40K, and I don't say that lightly. Like He's got a lot of accomplishments, has won all kinds of things. Uh, Nick, do, do me a favor. Go ahead, introduce Dan, and let's get started on this podcast. Yeah, sure thing, John. So we have the good man from down under, Dan Savage. That is his real name. He's probably got the coolest name we've ever had on this podcast. So that's reason enough to listen to this. But if that isn't, he's been playing Chaos pretty avidly down under for about four or five years now. And he's been working with uh, some of the top players down there, uh, like Eric Lothuris, and I believe he is in the running for the upcoming WTC team for 2021. So very cool stuff. He's got a unique take on Chaos, uh, especially specifically demons that I want to touch on, not your typical 200 Plague Bears or something like that. So um, Dan, take it away. Say hi, hi, and what is your list? Thanks for that introduction, guys. That's uh, I'm, I'm happy with the last name, but uh, it's kind of steered me well in life. But, uh, you know, we've... Kicking into a new chaos list, um, and I'm glad that I've brought something different that's uh, taken people's attention. Yeah, definitely. So, why don't you tell us a bit about it? Just uh, read it off for us, top to bottom. Um, well, to be honest, mate, um, going through the list, I'll actually let you know where the list all started. It all started with uh, a little snail called Hordicus Slimeth. Oh, I love this um, story. And if it starts with Gary the Snail, let's do oh, it. Man, Gary the Snail kicked us off and I sat there thinking, how can I make this work? Um, and I'm an old fantasy player, so I had quite a large access to a lot of old sort of chaos models. Uh, which were Beast of Nurgle, and um, looking through his rules, I was like, wow, this guy teams up pretty well with Beast. And then we had the release of the new Engine War, which um, gave Beast a little bit more of a striking power, and then with the changes in ninth, the Beasts were able to start moving around the board a bit easier. But I'll jump into that a little bit later. But basically with, with the list... Um, it uh, is a battalion um, undivided for demons. Uh, the list is led by the uh, unkillable Lord of Change, which has seen pretty frequent use. Um, and it's it's complemented in the list by being yet another uh, tar-pitting unit that's very hard to remove. Um, Horticus Simus is also another HQ. And then um, as a change of pace, I chucked in a great unclean one with a bell. Um Rounding out with the troops, uh, there is a bloodletter bomb um, of 20 with a demonic icon with the blood banner and um, the instrument and all that. 
uh, three units of Nurglings because, uh, and they're just of units of minimum size of three uh, because they're in a, such a good spot. And it also gives me access to a little bit of obs- uh, objective secured and also to help sort of push my enemy back with the infiltration deployment. Uh, then there was 23 Plague Bearers, um, just uh, bare bones. And then the main guts of the list was two units of five beasts, one unit of eight beasts. Now, the the reason for the two units of five was uh, two smaller squads to avoid that nasty uh, blast that was kicking around for a while. And then the large group of eight, which was the one that I could pump CP into from your warp surges and your uh, mortal wound strat. Um, and then the last unit in there was a unit of five flamers, um, which have the infantry keyword and uh, a little bit of a nuisance and helped me achieve secondaries. That's super interesting. I mean, like you've used words that I haven't heard since the Demon Codex released. Horticulous slimex. Like what even is that? Guy? <laughs> so, I guess um, I'm really glad you found a niche and you've seen some good success with this list. So can we start? Awesome. I, I'm sorry, as a new player. I have no idea what Horticulous Slimex is, does. What does he look like? Like, help help a new guy out. Tell me what he does. Uh, you haven't you haven't heard of the Great Gardener? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's um basically he is a very comical model that was brought out. Um, he's a giant snail. That's why I made the Gary the Snail reference from SpongeBob. He's like literally a giant Nurgle snail. Yeah, and he has these big bulging eyes and they use a fishing rod with a nurgling on it to uh, guide him around. But um, what his biggest um, bonuses are is he's actually a very hard-to-kill model, um, being at nine wounds with toughness six and uh, five-up invo, five-up feel no pain. He also provides a 12-inch aura of plus one to hit for all beasts of Nurgle around him. Um, which with 12 inches, you're you're looking at quite a bit of a spread. And then uh, he has a secondary aura, which is in within six inches. All beasts can re-roll uh, charges. Um, so he's just a really good force multiplier for that. Plus also he is um, he's not too bad in close combat. He has um, some high AP attacks, which the, the list uh, sorely needs as well. Um, but he's also just a great candidate for your uh, while we stand um, secondary. Very cool. He's, yeah. uh, he sounds like a lot of fun. So <clears throat> go through the other HQs. What does a, um, a great unclean one with a bell do for you? Um, well, Bellboy, uh, he provides me with uh, Miasma, so another another caster. So I've got the ability to put Neg1 to hit on one of the beast units or the plague bearers or whatever I'm looking at. Um, but his main thing is to provide the leadership buff for the beasts and the plague bearers. And then the bell um, units within seven on a, on a four plus at the start of the turn, you bring a, you bring a model back. Now when opponents are shooting units of beasts, you find out five wounds with a five up, five up is really hard to bring down. And there's a really, uh, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you shoot off a beast and then the next turn it comes back at full wounds. Um, so that was that was that combination there. Um, but also he, uh, he was another um, exalted trait with a four up feel no pain. So he was also another, uh, another unit that was very hard to bring down. 
Now, just thinking about your your list, it kind of looks to me like you've sort of put together a list that is just an uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> well, I was gonna say like a miserable tar pit. Like it just looks like you can't kill anything in this list, and it's gonna be all over you in combat and standing on all the objectives and sort of just outscoring your opponent. Is that the overall strategy? Uh, it, it, it's a genuine idea. Also, I wanted to put up targets from my opponent to make like there is some scary shooting armies out there and with this list you're sort of forcing your opponent to make very tough decisions on what they shoot at and a shooting phase is very quickly wasted when you see that the lord of change is something you've got to get rid of and that lord of change is catapulting straight at you but then you haven't put enough damage into the beasts which the beasts start enveloping your um into into the field and basically just sit there for a turn um also with secondaries there it's very tough for an opponent to pick their secondaries against this list um unless uh, unless they're also playing with the same mindset of a sort of battle of attrition and they're just scoring in their backfield as well so it's interesting to me that you've gone for Beasts of Nurgle as opposed to Nurglings or Plague Bears as your medium of I'm really durable and I'm going to exist here kind of unit. Yep. So it all makes sense to me conceptually like Beasts of Nurgle walk up the middle table, they're super hard to kill, you're reviving them with the bell, that's awesome. But <laughs> they're not obsec. so something like Nurglings or Plague Bears might do the unkillable but standing on objective horde better. What's the Why the choice for Beasts of Nurgle? Um, so the reason for the beast was, um, like I said, um, a theme with the the snail to begin with. But then, as the game changed over into ninth edition, once beasts were able to move through walls, um, they became actually quite a fast unit um, in the game of ninth. Um, when you were looking at potentially with good advance rolls, uh, hitting your opponent's lines by turn two. Beasts actually can do quite a lot of damage um, with two flat damage just inbuilt to them and the randomness of D6 attacks. You have a unit that can actually put out a little bit of damage when your opponent starts dropping saves. Um, also, you know, the uh, ability to reroll all wound rolls and then with the one CP strat sixes are mortal wounds, um, it becomes a pretty powerful combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a lot of attacks, a lot of exploding attacks, mortals. I can see it. Gets a lot of damage done. Do you find, though, that in like the current meta, and I don't want to focus too much on specific matchups because we will get that into episode two, but in the current meta, things like Marines are just so tough. Custodies, Sisters are also tough. And these attacks, they hit on fours. They're not that reliable in the AP department. Multiple damage can happen, but like you're not crazy high damage most of the time. So how are you, are you able to actually get stuff done with these guys or is the damage they do oh. kind of bonus damage? Nick, you've just overlooked the biggest thing, mate. It's the, the snail makes them hit on threes. Oh, Gary, the snail. Oh boy. Oh. That so, so then you're looking at, you know, three up, three up hit rolls with uh, D6 attacks. Um, as I said, it's, the thing is the Marine matchup, um, it looks bad on paper, but then when you start setting the models down onto the table, you start seeing your opponent really start tearing their hair out in what they're going to target. And then when you have things like uh, uh, eradicators um, with D6 damage, 
um, when they start over or under committing fire into units, you can see that they're losing the time in terms of to be able to do enough damage to remove this army off the board. Plus, in the backfield with this army, you are you are constantly scoring um, in the form of banners and um, quarters and things like that as you are just moving in a frontal wave. Um, and it basically becomes this game of if your opponent picks the wrong secondaries and you're able to shut them down, you can almost shut them out of the game completely. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the yeah before we get into matchups, but yeah, one of the toughest matchups is um, your armies that have highly effective high damage weapons that are also kind of multi shot. So your ad mechs and things like that, which can put out quite a lot of damage, but also have um, a high volume of fire as well. Yeah, like a unit of chicken walkers pumping out like thirty auto cannon hits could definitely wear you down. Yeah, yeah, and but the thing is, is if they're shooting at the beast, they're not shooting at the Lord of Change. If yeah, they're not shooting at the Lord of Change, threat overload type of list. I love that aspect to it. I've seen mm. a lot of players with demons try a similar idea um, of threat overload with big scary monsters and whatnot. And if you're not shooting this, then there's this is going to hit you. That's going to hit you. Whatever. Um, but I've seen that typically done with like triple keeper, rush them up the table kind of builds. This is obviously not doing that in the slightest, but have you given that any consideration as an alternative, or do you think this is better? Um, I actually think this is better. The with the with the keeper scenario, you are open up to a bore the witch quite badly. Um, because yes, the, the keepers are in a fantastic spot um in terms of their neg one to wound from range, they've got great great damage output, but you are kind of locked in the fact that you are you uh, are pushing for combat with them. Um, when a keeper is not getting stuck in and actually doing its damage, you're not getting its full um, points worth. But I've found that when a keeper hits, say, for instance, a Beast of Nurgle unit, uh, more often than not that keeper will bounce off the combat and then you're able to move around um and if you say if you hit the keeper with a larger group of like uh, more beasts coming in from the side you can usually drop that target and that target is giving me five secondary points while my beasts are kind of giving them nothing um also also on top of that is uh opponents especially in with australia we're very much getting used to playing against the uh monster mash chaos list and although it, it had great results, you were you were getting to those three wins and then maybe in your last round you'd come up against a, a properly set up gun line that had the means of actually dealing with the keepers. Um, and so basically this, this list was designed in a way to really play secondary as well, but you also had point threats like the blood letters and uh, the lord of change and the great unclean one that when you needed to hit you would hit an exact point divert your uh, opponent's attention to that point and then they the rest of the army becomes second thought but it's one of those armies that the you can't have a second thought with the rest of the army it takes a lot of uh sustained fire to bring this down to where it doesn't operate anymore yeah, it can, the durability here is not what's in question. You make a really great point about the keepers as well. They they don't do anything if they're not getting in close combat, so you're 
your hand is forced, you have to get there. And then if your opponent has ways to mitigate their efficiency or effectiveness in combat by, uh, there's a lot of different ways. Things like Scarab Swarms or Four Wound Models. Keeper have tons of three damage attacks. So like Nurglings and Scarab Swarms, things like that can just slow them down horribly, especially with the invul saves. Then you have things like Transports. Keepers charge a transport and OPSEC pours that onto the objective and the keeper's like, damn it, gave him five (laughs) points right here. So there's definitely (laughs) limitations. (laughs) Uh, So one thing I love about your list, and I think it's really cool and unique, is that it looks like it's a battle force. It looks there's a unit of blood letters, there's a couple units of nerlings, a weird size squad of plague bearers, some beast nergle, five man unit of flamers. How did you arrive at this sort of construction of units? You know, like I would never think to put a random unit of five flamers in this army, especially since you're not going down the whole rabbit hole of a Herald of Zinch for the plus one strength and the plus one to wound spell. Like you're, in a way, it looks like you're half assing your units, but maybe that the simplicity there is why it's good. Just what is the thought process there? Um, so with the flamers, the direct point of the flamers is they are very efficient at picking up, uh, putting up banners. So Raise the Banners was a secondary that I looked at in a lot of games. Um, Flamers are also uh, great for picking up, you know, little dart units such as your um, Admech Raiders, uh, the little cavalry um, that Admech have got, which Mm -hmm. this list has to have means of uh, dealing with units like that because they slow down my movement too much. Um, Also... um, Flamers are just a very awkward unit to deal with. Uh, four up invo on two wound models. Um, it becomes something that an opponent once again has to put dedicated fire to that. And then that, you know, multi damage fire isn't going into the beast where it's needed to go. Um, where the sort of stages of where we arrived at this list was um, in the fact that I was trying to back this up list up with a smite spam um but yeah like a thousand sun smite factory in the back here behind the beast of nurgle sounds like you know that just belongs it 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 felt like and i played a tournament and won a tournament with that but it always felt like the uh thousand suns weren't pulling their points um and i'm finding that and this is personal preference from me i'm finding that uh psychic phase for a damage outlet is in a really tough spot at the moment with so many things increasing in wounds and there's quite a lot of uh, four-up deny powers, things like that, that when you're looking at direct damage from just your smites and also, sorry, smite difficulty going up, um, you pay a premium for something that's a very random uh, damage output and a lot of the game now is there's very determined damages across the board. Um, and people have access to, a, um, by people I mean marine players and um, I uh, the Necrons as well, they have a, a huge surplus of these higher damage weapons that they can bring in uh, quite a volume. Um, so the, the Smite Spam worked, um, but I found that increasing the survival this um how survivable the list is with the great unclean one with the leadership and the bell uh while also providing lists with a um miasma pulled more weight than uh having a little bit of extra damage from t-suns um 
also, it, you know, it gave me the ability to be able to put the plague bearers in the back, which the plague bearers are that secondary wave that comes through and once again assists with putting up banners, um, objectives secured for, for the beasts that are camped on objectives. Um, and it just became more of a, a more well-rounded list for ninth edition and how the game plays. So one thing I like to do with uh, my current team list is I've been taking a lot of Exalted Flamers. Uh, you can basically get two Exalted Flamers for the price of one on unit of Flamers there. And they can also raise banners. Uh, they can't deploy Scramblers or do any other weird action things. Um, yep. But raising banners is good. And then their characters, they aren't getting shot. But I guess in your list, you're not, you kind of want them to shoot your Flamers in a way. It's like, now they're yeah. not shooting anything else. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's the thing. The the list uh, invites your opponent to make decisions. Um, and I find that with a lot of shooting armies, the the answers are freely given to them. They usually are looking at a couple of units where they're like, these are my main threats, I need to shoot them off. When you are presented with a list that has multiple medium threats, um, it's very hard as a player to focus down those targets that you think are the biggest threats um and and also respect the damage output that could come from a unit um yeah i definitely look at your list i'm like there's no damage here but that's just inaccurate especially like i'm looking at your rules here and like the beast of nurgle doing one cp mortals to wound on sixes and then they re-roll to wound like this all of a sudden gets a lot of mortals done take a lot of saves it can actually hurt pretty badly yeah, and like the thing was, is I I was running like matchups. I was a bit worried about with uh, custodes with high armor saves and my lack of AP. By sheer weight of dice, I was able to bring them down, and their damage output against me, they were losing that battle of attrition. Um, also, I am still bringing a, a, a bit of smite damage in the list that. Um, can come from you know two different sources and uh, in in a lot of the in a lot of the games um the the opponent would try and focus on the beast the beast would prove a little bit too robust of a target because i might have warp surged them or something else and then they would straight away have to switch focus to the lord of change and you would have played against that lord of change it usually takes more than a turn to bring that guy down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that guy. I mean, he's called the unkillable Lord of Change for a reason. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, where, where another thing that uh, people sort of overlook with the list is the they see the blood letters as just being a damage outlet, while blood letters are more in ninth an objective stealer. Um when you've got yourself a 3d6 charging objective secured unit, it it's set up in such a way to deny my opponent that primary for that turn. And then and it's big enough where you could potentially contest like two objectives with it right there. Exactly. Exactly. And when an opponent spreads too thin, that's what you're sort of looking at. I always try to keep my blood letters in my back pocket for as long as possible before I unleash them because it always keeps your opponent honest in the backfield. If they're able to freely move around, they're able to set up for your, you know, slowly moving offensive. But if they've got 20 uh, 20 blood letters staring them down, 
it makes them go, well, I've still got to have screens. Those screens are the thing that helps the beast catapult up the board to hit those juicier targets. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was one of the ways that the list operated and um, actually found success. I like that a lot. So more on like a strategic level here, um, I guess your plague bearers are kind of wandering around in a way giving the Beast of Nurgle obsec because just to clarify how objective secured works in terms of objectives, um, if your opponent has obsec on the objective like tactical marines or whatever, and then you have Beast of Nurgle on it, obviously he's going to hold it regardless of how many Beasts of Nurgle you have on that objective. But the mm. second one singular plague bearer gets on that objective, now there's obsec from both sides on that objective. So now it goes back to number of total models. The Beasts of Nurgle get to contribute their bulk again. So yeah. um, is that kind of the idea? You, instead of going for like, here's 180 plague bearers, everyone's obsec, but kind of actually killable. Here's really, really hard to kill Beasts of Nurgle and just enough plague bearers to follow along suit. Is that your idea there? Definitely. And the other part of that is beasts have that amazing rule that they heroically intervene three inches. Um, Oh my God. Oh my God. This is so cool. Talk to me about this. Yeah. So you have a built-in rule of beasts where they're always, you know, trying to get hugs from people um, as their law says, but they're, you, you set up a big unit of beasts on an objective and they cover that objective quite well with that base size um, your opponent, if they want to try and tap an objective to steal it off you, they're going to cop a heroic intervention. Now, there's a lot of things in the game where, you know, you're getting, um, say, for instance, Eric's uh, Gaunt Carpet, where you have small, cheap uh, cannon fodder that sort of taps objectives and takes points off people. These lists in, in Australia were having really good su- uh, success, but if you have something that heroic intervenes into them, they've got to commit their right amount so those beasts can't just come in and wipe them off. The plague bearers were that secondary thing in the back that, yes, they uh, gave objective secured, but also they were raising banners. They were um, constantly being this second wave that sort of came through that once your opponent had dealt with the beast, they really didn't have the firepower left to bring the plague bearers down. And then when you're, you're still kicking around with the great unclean one, the plague bearers are very hard to shift. Um, but the main reason why I didn't expand upon more plague bearers and less beasts is you you give up secondaries. Um, the the beasts are just hot in a really good spot in not really giving away uh, too many points. Yeah. So with this list, you're not. It seems like it's very focused on denial. You're dry, denying your opponent's primaries with blood letter bombs. You are denying your opponent's the ability to take secondaries. You're getting while we stand, we fight because, like, what? How are they stopping you? So, I imagine your games are fairly low scoring, where you're looking for like I won sixty to your fifty, not I blew you out ninety to twenty. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> I was actually getting. Uh... Uh, what without so with the paint scores, I got a ninety-eight. I think in the first round. And then I think I followed it up with a uh, hundred, so a eighty-eight and a nine. My ass right here. So how do you pull off this magic? I li- literally um, was uh, Nurglings capping um, quarters. So um, quarters, I was always trying to score as much as I could. Uh, then we had banners, and while we stand, 
Uh, more often than not, I could cap banners. Um, but if my opponent also the mission of secondaries and things like that, I could more often than not score very uh, solidly in those games as well. Um, but my first two games were against custode lists. And I, um, the second game, I like for a list that doesn't do too much damage, I wiped my opponent off, off the board by close to turn three, turn four. And this was like the Alaris Terminators and all that sort of stuff. But I could the, see you doing a lot of damage to that type of hyper elite army because you do have a lot of mortal wound capability. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's also just the amount of attacks going through from the beast. And, you know, you roll ones from time to time and you're like, oh, that's two flat damage coming through. And then you start losing Alaris Terminators and you're going, okay, this is actually starting to cost me a fair bit. Yeah. Like take. 10 saves. Oh, I failed two, two ups. That's a guy. Like it's, yeah. it's really, yeah. And just, that's always what I've found has been the issue with custodes is the trade-off has never been um, too efficient unless you get another elite matchup where, you know, they were getting that with Marines, but with a, with a list like this, they were trading Alaris Terminators for a beast of Nurgle. And I was like, I'll take that trade every day. <laughs> so, Back to, I guess, some list design questions for you. Mm-hmm. You you haven't gone for any heralds whatsoever. Uh, so you have no access to like the Forbidden Gem. You have no access to that plus one to wound power and plus one strength for those horrors. You have no access to plus one strength for those blood letters. And there's no sloppity bile pe- piper to let that great and clean one advance and charge. Mm-hmm. So basically, you've completely skimped out on all your support options for more stuff. Do you... <laughs> Do you think this is the direction to go, or do you actually miss some of that stuff? Um, this is definitely the direction to go. If you're going, if you're going for this playstyle, then you need to you need to play extensive amounts of ninth edition and and actually play the game. I um, I never enjoyed the game where we were in this shooting gallery where oh my army just gets shot off, I lose sort of thing. Um, I always enjoyed games where it was about objective control and pushing that sort of thing. This list does not need to interact with the opponent at all. You can you can pick secondaries that play just play your list and score as much as you can, and then you have the full awareness of what your opponent's picking as secondaries. And more often than not, with a list as annoying as this, they're usually picking a assassinate a bore the witch or they're picking quarters or something like that where they start playing into your territory and your game and you're able to capitalize on that. And then basically you just focus on winning primary. And this is where the blood letters come into the equation so well because you can hold out that time until that gap opens up where the blood letters come in, they take an objective off it and it's like, okay, well, I've outscored you for this round. What are you going to do about it? And then your opponent has to overextend and they start marching to the beat of your drum rather than you just copying, you know, letting them shoot you for the whole game. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're like you said, it's designed for ninth edition. You're 100% based on playing the mission. Uh, you mentioned you're going to take uh, engage in all fronts, raise the banners, and while we stand, we fight as your go-tos, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever switch that up or is that like... This just works, so why rock the boat? 
Um, well, one of the games um, when I played against Hayden Waldock, um, he had a like really, it was the pre Marine Codex Imperial Fist, um, a really good uh, Invicta Warsuit run with the Thunderfires. And, and that's one of the things that I'm glad is not in the game anymore that Tremor Shell. Uh, that was horrendous when you play against uh, that type of list. Oh. It's, uh, but um, in that game, he he had enough shooting to completely wipe my infantry off. So in that game, I um, I did not I didn't take uh, banners uh, in order to sort of prevent him from targeting my infantry. Um, in that game, and when you look at your opponent's list, if you see that they have the potential damage output to to take you off the board, your sole focus in that game is to take primary off your opponent. And you start looking at it and you go, I have to build up enough of a primary lead and have consistent secondary scorings so that I can just take this game out um, from that alone. Um, so in that game, I took while we stand and forced my opponent to go after those greater demons and those hard-to-kill things um, just so my infantry and beasts were allowed to operate in the game longer than they normally would be able to. And that that actually gave me the win in that game just due to the fact that he had to put too much fire into the Lord of Change and Great Unclean One, and it... Um, basically turned around to turn three uh turn two turn three and you get into this position where you're like i'm actually up by on primary by 10 points and he has to find that 10 points in a list that is just very hard to remove from objectives this episode is brought to you by hp instant ink no one is reading your mind but hp instant ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges so you never have to think about ink save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. I like it. So um, I'm noticing you're also not taking the tree here, the feculent Narama. And that's like, in my opinion, one of the main draws to running Big old Gary the Snail Horticulous Slimex. <laughs> he has a rule for everyone at home that uh, basically lets you summon a Nurgle tree. And the Nurgle tree is a fortification. So normally you take it and you put it in your deployment zone, and that's that. And it provides a lot of buffs to your army, gives advance and charge to Nurgle demon units, gives bonuses to their cover saves, fall back and charge. A lot of stuff going on. Mostly advance and charge, fall back and charge in this case. Um, Horticulous Slimex lets you move him forward and then summon a tree into midfield where it's a lot more useful in your army, providing its orders from the center of the board instead of your deployment zone. And you're just not gone for that at all, Dan. What's that about? Um, because I'm not looking at damage. Um, I am trying to look at it that I want my opponent to interact with me. If I take the center board, I usually have the majority in objectives. I'm usually holding more than what they are. So the baton is then passed to them to start interacting with me. If they allow me to completely take over a flank and usually usually how you will play this list is you'll run two different flanks. You'll run a flank that is running, say, two of the five-man squads with the snail 
and then you might have a flank running the eight-man beast unit with the Lord of Change. There's two flanks there that your opponent has to be watching out for, and you've also got the blood letters to back up that flank. I never in the game am looking to go into my opponent's territory and start, you know, wiping them off the table. It's that if if that's happening, then you know the game is already won in my opinion. It's more a game that I want them to take so long to remove me from the board that the scoring in the primaries and secondaries has just lopsided into my favor. I've always sort of tried to, to design this list in a way that we I I was looking for narrow margin wins where my opponent just goes, "Oh wow, I I'm down by 15 points in primary and you've picked up too many secondaries. I I can't actually win this." Um but in that opponents were also in a lot of games when they started seeing they were losing on on the primary um, and they were trying to push their secondaries, they would overextend, overcommit, and that's where the list comes into its own and you start hitting units with beasts and people start learning to respect how much damage the beast can actually do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it seems like a lot of players uh, who run demons historically do typically try to run into close combat, get themselves locked up, Trapping models, which isn't as effective in ninth edition, um, mm. and just killing the opponent with like keepers, secrets, and stuff. And you're going for a much more board control style, where you're like, I'm gonna sit here on my pile of objectives, and I'm gonna score 45 secondary points unless you come mess with me. Scoring, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna hold these two objectives every turn for 10, 10, 10, 10. That's yep. a really good score. And then at some point, I'm gonna mess with your scoring capabilities with my bloodletter bomb, and that's enough to pull a win because most armies aren't even designed to score 45 points on secondaries these days. Most are like, engage in all fronts and scramblers. Hopefully that gets me between 20 and 25, and I'll figure out the last one in the moment. And you're like, well, I actually have a plan for 45 points here, so screw you. Well, we're, we're in this really interesting transition where people are going from 8th edition, which was, I want to table my opponent. I want to do as much damage as possible to take them off the board. And we've crossed into ninth edition where you've now got this absolute smorgasbord of secondaries to choose from and you can start tailoring your list to play the game as well as possible and interact where you want to interact with your opponent. Um, not to say that damage is out of the equation. There's some lists that do it amazingly well. Um, I just started to see things like... Um, some of the uh, admech lists and marine lists that had very efficient screening that they things like the lord of change and 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 things like that you you were playing catch up and if you lost your your tools you started going all right well this game i'm on the back foot from the get-go um you know play playing three keeper of secrets and you see two of your keeper of secrets get tremor shelled, it really puts you in a bad position from the get-go. So one thing I notice is a weakness to your strategy, or at least what I would point out mm -hmm. as a weakness, is yep. that your engage in all fronts play is strong early and then kind of peters off as the nerdlings die. Obviously, you can get it fairly easy and early with nerdlings in multiple quarters, and then that's good to go. But as your opponent can kill the nerdlings, you might get it again with the bloodletter bomb, maybe... That's like it though. And like your units are, they're not trying to push into your opponent's side of the table, like you said. So, do you think taking things like 
know, solo fiends of Slanish or more nurgling squads or anything like that to try to help you out a little bit more on that engaging all front side is worth it? Or do you find you typically do score that highly on it? Um, I, I, I typically do score it because in the in the first turn, yeah, um, you are looking for the nurglings to be scoring um the the quarters, but then your beasts by that stage have moved into your opponent's quarter. Um, they are starting to cross over that boundary. And as I said, the army does split into two flanks um, quite effectively. And then your Lord of Change is also giving you that that quarter. And you've got your your backfielders like your um, Plague Bearers, your Flamers, um, the other units of Nurglings um, and things like that, which slowly keep tallying up that point. I try to run off that uh, the quarters game. I'll aim for eight to ten points from that. Um, and that that's a really achievable goal in, in the um, whole scope yeah. of a game. And then you start going, or oh, then it's onto my opponent to pick a secondary that outscores my my quarters. Um, and when you start going for kill objectives, um, it actually becomes really tough with a list like this um, because you start going, oh, well, I've committed all this fire to you know get my five points for the Lord of Change or the Great Unclean one. But then the beasts are straight straight through onto those quarters. So they're scoring quarters, they're contesting primary, and they're also backing up the blood letters that may have come down to contest an objective. And you might have a couple of blood letters worth that are capping that objective so the beasts can come through and have that objective secured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think I, I, go ahead, John. I was just gonna say I'm having trouble trying to conceptualize how I would attack your list because you you present a lot of um bad choices for your opponent. Like, you know, you're taking, you know, um whatever the one where your your characters are your three most expensive characters, right, are worth five points apiece to kill. Um yep. while we stand. And so, yeah, while we stand we fight, right? And and you're just you're so your opponent is like, Well, I need to kill them, but then if as soon as they put the firepower requisite to kill them uh, they lose on primary almost instantly because now they haven't dealt with all of your other, you know, your your wave of stuff. We'll just call it stuff for now, like all the objective <laughs> stuff. Wave of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But they, they just take over the board, and you just sort of seeded the board. You've sort of forced your opponent to, like, choose between letting me score, you know, 10 or 15 on my secondary or letting me score 10 or 15 on my primary extra. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, the balls in your court and I'm trying to figure out, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to approach the sort of uh, the knot that you're tying for your opponents. So well, let's kind of try to answer that for you, John. Dave, yeah. you can correct me if I'm, if I'm missing the mark here yep. without going to matchup specifically, I think something that could maybe go first against you and really start just move blocking your army horrendously trapping in your own deployment zone. So mm-hmm. anything really fast, like Crack and Tyrion is just standing right in front of you with their whole army. Just as an example, because um, there's a very stark lack of fly here. There's five flamers and Lord of Change. Everything else, slow movement characteristic, no fly, huge bases. So you are vulnerable to move blocking. You're vulnerable to ruins. Um, beasts of Nurgle being what they are, beasts and beasts getting the buff to walk through walls now is a huge boon for you. But for the most part, you're a slow army, so if someone can capitalize on that, you might just fall on your face right there. Or is that not the approach you should take? 
Um, it's definitely um, so. I played against Eric um, a fair few times, um, and we just yeah. had Eric on the podcast last week. Anyone talking about his two hundred tiered army, that two hundred model tiered <laughs> army? So, if you want to know how he uses that, check out that episode. It was one of the um, playing against his uh, style of uh, Tyranids. Yeah, he would be move blocking you with uh, biovores, um, with spore mines blocking you, and all sorts of things. And the list, um, it, it would be a very tight game. But in the meta, it was it's a very rare list to come up against that. But even then, he was always in the driver's seat where he couldn't make a mistake. Um, and sometimes the game would just turn on him where, yes, you can block those beasts, but the the beast, the five-man beast squad might roll really well for their attacks and they might throw out 25 attacks. And he's just like, oh, well, I didn't expect that to happen. I'm going to lose far more infantry than I thought I would. And then I'm also starting to score my secondary within their ranks. And he still has to be keeping keeping up on his secondary scores because if he overcommits with that mood block too early, I get the run through on the back end of the game. And he might have taken he might have taken too many losses that he now can't cap those objectives off me. Yeah, and but, I will also say there's a there's definitely a right and wrong way to move block. And if you're just like, I'm going to move block this army and win the game, yeah. ha-ha, you're probably doing it wrong. So by that, I mean, like Dan was alluding to, if you overcommit to the move blocking and you're just throwing your army into the trash can early to keep them in their deployment zone, you'll eventually run out of stuff and maybe they can still catch up in the back half because the secondaries are fairly independent of the move blocking in this list, like while we stand, we fight. Mm -hmm. And then also... The uh, you do get a lot of free movement when you charge stuff. So let's say giant wall of gaunts or whatever it might be right in front of the beasts of Nurgle, they're gonna charge two d six, but maybe only go two three inches because the gaunts are right in front of them. Wipe the gaunts, pile in or consolidate three. So now it's it's almost like they just took a movement phase, but you lost thirty gaunts doing it. Mm. And also, it starts op opening up opportunities where you start going. I'm gonna deploy the blood letters and you now have another damage outlet that's on the board that you need to commit something to to take that out, which then frees more of the army to keep pushing up. Um, the Tyranid, the mass Tyranid, did score very well, but there was a lot of times where units, units would get wiped off um, just by the sheer amount of volume that the beast would put out and you still had the Lord of Change pumping up the center. And yes, they would they would hit him with a target and and trap him with a unit, but he's still something on the board that can move up, move up and start to cap, you know, quarters or or some other secondary. Or I might be taking a um mental interrogation with him where I was I'm just, just about to ask about mental interrogation or psychic ritual. Is that ever something you mess with? Yeah, yeah. Um, psychic ritual, I am very hesitant on because it's such a gamble. Um, yeah, 15 or zero, no in-betweens. Yeah, and, and it's one of those ones where you just go, wow, if they have a four-up deny or a one CP sort of deny, it really throws the game out um, with what you're looking for. I just to wouldn't do. take it if they have access to something like that. Yeah, yeah, can't. no, definitely, definitely. Yeah. 
And then with it as well is you want the law to change to still be in the game. Um, and so with mental interrogation, that's another one that you definitely look at where if they're using their characters and they're starting to be aggressive with their characters, you're always going to be chipping up three points from just that alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but you definitely brought up like, you know, move blocking. Uh, Marines, Marines used to have that double shot tremor shell that, I in, oh, yeah. in, in that tournament, I pretty much played without my uh, eight-man B squad and one of my five-man. Um, but in that, the beasts were still achieving a purpose where well, if you they can were, get them on the objectives, they don't mm, have to move ever again. They're all that's, right. That's exactly right. Um, and that's where I saw the sort of downfall of the larger Monster Mash Keeper Keeper of Secrets sort of list where when they were tremor shelled, so much of your damage was out of the equation and you didn't have the board presence to be able to take your opponent out of the game. So I do want to ask, you mentioned you split your army into two flanks, which is not what I'd expect uh, mm-hmm. you to say. There's the, the left flank with the two units of five and the right flank with the big unit of eight and Lord change. Why do you do that instead of keep your army as one giant conglomeration that just absorbs the center of the board and anything that kind of bowling balls its way through. Why well, do you split it up into smaller contingents? Well, basically what you want to do is you are always trying to turn the game into a hammer and, hammer and anvil style deployment where you force your opponent to be in that small section of the board and you push up with one flank. So your stronger flank will push that end where you've got your eight-man beast or your Lord of Change or you might have two of the five-man beasts in the Lord of Change with the great unclean one steering up because once you turn the game into that um, style, your auras pretty much cover all your units. And it's very, and there is no gaps in your backfield at all where your opponent can deep strike behind you and and do all sorts of things like that. It's, um, it basically, with the flanks, it forces my, uh, it forces the opponent to also start shifting his own flanks and maybe recommitting to one side to strengthen that flank. And then you've got the blood letter bomb coming down to hit that exposed uh, flank that might have an objective on it that you can take off your opponent very cheaply. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You're just kind of, you're just doing your own thing on your objectives Hey, splitting into hammer and anvil, and usually you will find a large center ruin or like L's in the center. So splitting on the left side and the right side does make it a bit easier for you to navigate those L's instead of just getting bogged down with your 60 mil bases that move six inches trying to hope get on the other side of the wall. I mean, well, it I also found, I found, your opponents spread out, right? So yeah. if you're all in one big death ball, then they can sort of concentrate too. And then you're sort of, you know... I think it it gives you more flexibility. Like if you spread out, it sort of forces your opponent to like either spread out to deal with you or give up more of the board to you, right? Am Mm. I thinking about that right? Exactly, exactly. So if you get a uh, Blood Angels matchup where you have to respect the amount of damage that they can generate, that force split out, they start splitting Sangui Guard out to the right flank. And you're like, okay, cool, Sangui Guard over there. I'm fully committing to this left flank and I'm pushing right up. Um, and it starts making you, uh, the opponent, diversify their resources and they might 
be spreading too thin that you actually have the damage output to get through what is left there. Um, and usually that is what turns the tide of the whole game. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. So to that end, I guess, um, why have you gone for the uh, six up feeling of pain and random healing Lord of Change instead of like randomly rolling on the table? Because most of the results are really good for Lord of Change. So getting two results could potentially get you the result you want plus something else or just two other benefits that are really good. <laughs> but then in that clutch game where you need him to have that uh, regen that and you roll, <laughs> you, you get an extra I mean, that's spell. always the risk, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you just think the, the, the floor of having, I always have the very, very hard to kill or to change mm. is better than I might have a Lord of Change that does some extra mortals or something. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's one of those things that I need him to fulfill a role um, so I wouldn't build him in any other way. Um, I would always set him up to do that role. That way I can usually count on him to do that. And even when he's dying, he's doing a job because he, he's absorbing so much damage out of an opponent's army that would have been going elsewhere. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Like you've said it time and time again on this podcast, the Iron Army is not trying to kill your opponents. Mm. So taking opportunity... Risking durability for opportunistically, maybe I can get some more mortal wounds out here. Is anti-synergistic. It's it's you're putting your strategy at risk. Well, no it reason. was it was um basically what where Nick you'd get the concept a lot more. Do you remember those games where you'd be playing like a a, a tower gunline with your T sons, and you'd be sitting yeah. there with your big rows of disposable bodies, and you'd just be hurling mortal wounds, and it was it was progressive damage that your opponent slowly just got whittled off the board they were shooting all your plague bearers and doing all sorts of things but then you slowly just won that battle of attrition because they couldn't push too forward because then your trash starts actually doing more work and and adding more damage and it forces your opponent to start bunkering up what i'm kind of doing with this list as well is spreading that bunker wide as well and making it so that my opponent fully has to commit to two different flanks sure there might not be as much damage coming through but i've taken you know that resilience level to 10 Mm -hmm. yeah so i i mean dan did you know i'm like a a diehard demon fan they're like my favorite army in all of 40k and i'm just like (laughs) being unhappy with the play style they've been shoehorned into for a while did you know all this (laughs) no i didn't i didn't but um you are you are inspiring me right now and i'm like reading through my demon codex while i'm recording (laughs) this podcast with you and i keep turning around because i'm doing this in my like stream room and i'm staring Uh, at my demon army and i'm like it's time it's time mate i'm having a short i'm gonna have a short break from them um for another 20 ship me your beast of nurgle this is perfect (laughs) oh yeah 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 um i'm gonna have a short break from them but then um we've got a master's coming up end of year here um and i'm gonna probably re-roll out the the demons again um but this time i'm i'm actually thinking of going down a different path with the with the list um because I'm with what we're sort of seeing with the game, the way it's going, Beast is still in a great spot for um, survivability, but the damage uh, increase from, you know, eradicators going up to units of six and, and if people start abusing those choices over and over again, you might start going, all right, well, it's not worth 
investing too many points in the beast, but I still might have those small squads in there that provide the bunker for my characters and and that backfield hold. But then you can start putting your points into back into the plague bearers or horrors or whatever you like. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would love to follow you on this demon adventure that you go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, more than happy to share some stuff with you. I uh, would no, very start talking more. This is sick. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like it's about time for us to start talking about how to play this gobbledygook <laughs> of a list. Uh, what do you think we've been doing for the past hour, John? <laughs> no, no, but I mean, talk about specifically like the tactics. Like the matchups, right? the ins and yeah. the outs, the dirty, dirty details. Oh, yeah. yeah. All the fun stuff. So, the and great of course, and clean details. <laughs> and of course, all of that happens in episode two, and that's only available for patrons. So if you haven't signed up for our Patreon, you can sign up at AOW40K.com. Uh, and if you haven't done it yet, I don't know why you haven't. The second episodes are, in my opinion, always better than the first. You get tons and tons of detail of optimal play for this list because I imagine this list plays a little differently in different matchups. And it'll be interesting to see sort of how uh, how he dunks on Marines, which is what I'm looking most forward to. I'm, I'm looking forward to – I see like so many matchups that are like, this is how I would approach it and this would be really hard for the Steaming Army to overcome. And Dan seems got an answer for everything, so I'm really excited to hear what he says. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. uh, Yeah. And thanks to all of you patrons for supporting us. We'll see you over on episode two for everyone else. We'll see you next week. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.